All right, let's make our way back to our seats, family. Welcome. He is risen. I'm excited. I'm excited to open God's word with you guys. I'm excited to just unpack the beauty and significance of the resurrection of Jesus. Who's at the right address this morning? Yeah. Well, as you know, today's April 1st. It is the prankster's holiday. Any of you guys jokes or any of you guys do, do practical jokes? Any of you guys down with that? How many did a joke already today? All right, we've got at least one out there. You're an evil person. I hate April 1st, man. Always get me. Um, my favorite team trades for the best player on April 1st. All these good things happen. And they're all jokes. I was looking online, actually, and a lot of... Uh, uh, companies, a lot of different, um, different companies online have online presence where they are using April 1st to promote a, a false product and, and just to joke around with it. And they put out these really well done videos to promote it, which is pretty funny. I mean, Coca-Cola announced that they're going to have three new flavors to appeal to millennials. Avocado, sourdough, and charcoal. That's on point, right? Or the shoe company that has their sneaker speaker. It's got a speaker attached to their sneaker. So as you walk around, you got different vibes going on in your feet. Oh, that was pretty cool. I saw another company that had as their April Fool's joke. They had a phone case, and it was flexible, but it was made out of chocolate. So not only was it durable and hit the floor, but it was convenient if you're hungry. That was their, that was their pitch. <laughs> or perhaps my favorite one was Lexus. They have a video. You got to check this thing out. Get on YouTube. Check out Lexus. They partnered, they said, with 23andMe, the, the DNA testing uh, place to see your different heritage. They partnered with, with 23andMe, and all you got to do is spit in a cup, and they will custom make a car based on your DNA. <laughs> and within 48 hours, they will deliver it to your house. So the windshield is tinted to your prescription. <laughs> That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? <laughs> yes. The different colors, different styles, and... And yes, the way you turn on the car, you don't need a key, you don't even need a button, you just got to lick the steering wheel. <laughs> and there it goes. I was like, man, this is, this is pretty interesting. Uh, April Fool's is, is a day that people love to just prank and make jokes, and when I realized last year that Easter would be on April 1st, I figured that many of God's opponents would have a field day, talking about how the resurrection of Jesus is a joke. You may have already seen memes to that, to that uh, idea. And the truth of the matter is, what we believe as followers of Jesus, if you are one today, is indeed quite foolish in the eyes of those who, who have not had their eyes open to what God has done. In fact, Paul even says that, that he calls the cross God's foolishness. I mean, just think about it. God chose to save people by becoming a man and dying. That, that's not the way the world makes up superheroes. In our world, superheroes come in and they're swollen green and smash things. They can fly and shoot lasers out of their eyes. They can call and summon lightning from the clouds. And in the Bible, our God went to a cross. It's foolishness if we don't understand why God did what he's done. This is what the, what the world calls the foolishness. But the interesting thing is, as much as the Christian faith has been ridiculed for 2,000 years... And the most rigorous of enemies of God 
have sought to disprove the resurrection, here we stand today saying he is risen. He is risen indeed. Isn't it interesting to you? So some of the greatest minds in the history of the world have set out to disprove Christianity. Here we stand. Because what we're going to see is that still to this day, the fact that Jesus is alive is the most convincing and compelling explanation for the empty tomb. But I want to take it a step further today. I, I don't want to just give proofs for why Jesus is alive, why the tomb is empty. I, I want to point us to what God expects of us in return. I know some of us here today are followers of Jesus. You are devoted to your Savior. You spend time with Jesus every day through reading your word, through prayer, and those days that you miss, you know you hunger for him. You want to honor him with your life. When you, when you do things that you know oppose God's will, which is called sin, you feel conviction because you want to please your Heavenly Father. There are many of us here today who say, I, I'm a follower of Jesus. And then there are others of us who are here today who might say to ourselves, say to ourselves, I believe, but I'm not all in like that. And then there are still yet others who are here today saying, I'm not sure I believe this. And what I pray, my hope is that as I unpack God's word, each of you, no matter where you are on that spectrum, would, would find hope today. If you're a child of God, that you'd walk away with your head high, that you've got a risen Savior. If you're kind of indifferent to the Christian faith, you believe, but you're not all in, my prayer is that you would see that there is no such thing as believing and not being all in. Because believing by default demands that you're all in. Jesus says that. And others who are yet believing, my prayer is that you would see the truth of the resurrection and that God would stir your heart and cause you to put your faith in Jesus and live for him. Because that's life to the fullest. The jokes on the pranksters today, it's no April Fool's. It's April Fool, F-U-L-L. And Jesus is the one who brings life to the fullest. We all know what it's like when you different, uh, different lights or notifications come out in our lives. Like your check engine light. You know you've got them. Don't, don't try to like, pretend like you ain't got that. <laughs> and at first you get really alarmed, right? Like, oh, the light is on. And then you keep driving, and then three months pass, six months pass. You're like, it's probably just an air filter, right? <laughs> you... you you ignore the light. Or you know if you pull out your phone, you know if you got an iPhone, you got some red bubbles there, which means you got some updates to happen. I don't know what color the Android updates are. What color are they? Green? They don't have color. They don't, they don't update their phone. Okay. Um, <laughs> but you know when you got that notification telling you to update your phone, you usually don't feel much urgency about that. I updated my iPhone a, a, about six months ago, and I needed a new one after doing it. Right, so you just don't need, there's not an urgency a lot of times to update our apps and our iPhones or whatever phone you got or if your phone doesn't update. But there's one, one notification you don't ignore, and that's your gaslight. You don't ignore that thing because you know what happens if you ignore it. You're going to be walking down the street with a red container in your hand. But the truth is, a lot of us walk through life and this, the gas container of your soul is lit up. And what we do is we busy our lives and we don't realize we're empty. We, we don't realize that, that we've got no hope because we're putting our hope in things that we know won't satisfy, but what they do is numb the pain for just a little bit. The red light is on in our souls, 
But we just ignore it for one reason or another. Or maybe sometimes we're just going too fast. We don't even see it. But a day will come where you'll crash. You'll get stranded. What I pray is that God would reveal to you how your soul is lit up, empty. And that you would see Jesus who says he came to bring life to the fullest. Man, I would love for all of us to leave today with our tank filled up. Filled up with faith for the first time. Filled up with renewed faith and commitment. Or filled up with joy because of the faith you've got. That's my prayer for us, family. Your soul might be parched, but Jesus brings life to the fullest because because of his resurrection. And with that being said, let's open our Bibles, family, to the book of John, where we see Jesus make this statement. John chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are some in the chairs in front of you. Meet me on page 896. I'd love for you to stand with me if you could as I read this passage. I'll read most of it. At the very end, I invite you to read with me. John 10, verses 7 through 18. Verse 7 says this. So Jesus again said to them, that's the religious leaders, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to do what? Steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it what? Abundantly to the fullest. Verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Verse 14, but I'm the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay my life down for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock and one shepherd. Let's read verses 17 and 18 together. For this reason, the Father loves me. Yes. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. That's fire. You may be seated. Jesus is speaking to religious leaders because they got an issue with him, which they do for most of his life. See, Jesus has just given sight to a blind man, and by the way, he still does that. He still gives sight to people who are blind People who are spiritually uh, blinded. And today, perhaps you've been blinded to your own emptiness. Jesus will give sight as you put your faith in him. The religious leaders were mad they healed this guy because he did it on a Saturday, which is the Sabbath day. And the religious leaders said you shouldn't work on the Sabbath, and they perceived that to be work. And so Jesus begins to speak to them, and he likens people to sheep. He likens them to sheep and likens himself to a shepherd and a door. 
Somewhere else in the, in the New Testament, Jesus says that he has compassion on people because they are helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd. The way God sees us is as sheep in need of his leading. And Jesus goes on to tell them, I am the door. No one comes to salvation. No one has eternal life except that they come through me. And he says, I am the good shepherd. I laid down my life for the sheep. Wolves can't come and get my people because I laid my life down for them. He unpacks this image, and then he tells them in verse 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, this is what I want us to see here, is what kind of life did Jesus give us? That's an important question. If you're spiritually parched today and your light is lit up in your soul, the check engine light, the gas light, and you're like, I need maintenance, what kind of life does Jesus offer us? Well, when he says, I came to give him life abundantly, the word life is an important word. There are one of two words he could have used here. One is the word bios in Greek, from which we get biology, and that's the, that's the material stuff of life. You dissected a frog or rat in your biology class because that's the stuff of life. It's the skin and the bones and the muscles and the blood and all that. The person at the gym is taking care of their life physically. That's bios. But Jesus doesn't use that. He's not saying I'm giving you life abundantly or else we'd all be really swole and in shape. He says, I've come to give you life, and the word is zoe in Greek. This word life, this word, is a significant word because it is a word that signifies a, 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 re, a resurrected life, a revived life, a refurbished life. And Jesus says, I came that they may have that kind of life and have it abundantly. A lot of times we think of life as a follower of Jesus, and you may have heard of Christianity like this. There's, there's this eternal life that awaits us, and that is reason to hope and to live with joy. But sometimes we forget or neglect the fact that Jesus says, I came to give you abundant life even here. It's not like life here is supposed to be miserable and happiness waits you in heaven, so just bear along with the misery and joy is coming. But Jesus is saying that there is, a, there is a joy in following him. But it's important then to understand what Zoe is. Because many have wealth, many have health, but they're not enjoying Zoe to the fullest. See, Jesus talks about Zoe, and he says it's a kind of joy that only God can provide. It's a kind of peace that God can provide. It's a victory that God has won over sin, over death, and over Satan. It's the breaking of shackles. It is an abundant life that is full now. And if that's what you want, do you want joy this morning? You want peace? You want victory over sin? You want chains in your life and bondage to be broken? What Jesus is saying, what you want is Jesus. Because he brings the abundant life. See, the abundant life is that moment when Peter looks at Jesus and all the other fringe followers walked away from Jesus. And Jesus says, do you want to go too? It's this kind of abundant life that causes Peter to say, Lord, where else can we go? You've got the words of eternal Zoe. 
life. That, that's, that's the life that sustains us. Or when Stephen looks his killers in the eye and says, Father, forgive them. Because he's living life abundantly. Or when Paul counts down all his degrees and all his successes and his pedigree spiritually and ethnically and all these awards and achievements, and he says, I count them as rubbish for the sake of knowing Jesus because he's given me life abundantly. It's that, it's that moment when you are able to forgive the one who's offended you, that friend, that spouse, that boss. That's because you got an abundant life. It's that moment when you've got a confidence, when you get the gut-wrenching diagnosis. You know that you've got Zoe, though your bios is wasting away. Jesus brings that. It's that time when there's a song in your soul and life is broken, but you're praising God because you've got Zoe, abundant life. It's when your contentment in your circumstance no matter what's going on, no matter your financial state or your marital state or your property value, you are content because Jesus gives you Zoe, life. It's courage in the classroom and wisdom in the workplace. This, this is what Jesus is offering his followers. It's Zoe, it's abundant life. And there are many things in our world and our lives that promise Zoe, but they are incapable of fulfilling it. Jesus is the exception to that. Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. But the question is for us on this Resurrection Sunday morning is, how is Jesus able and capable to give us that life? I want that. I want that joy, that peace. I want that confidence, that courage, that contentment. I want that victory. How how is that given to me? How is that given to you because of Jesus? How does Jesus make your April full? Well, the answer is in verse 17 and 18. Jesus says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, that I may lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus repeats himself three times here because he wants you and I to understand one thing. He laid down his life and he took it up again. He says, for this reason the Father loves me. Jesus is not saying, if I didn't do this, God wouldn't love me anymore. In fact, in John 17, he says, God the Father has loved me for all of eternity. And I think what we're seeing here is a beautiful interchange where the love of the Father toward the Son is causing the Son to have obedience toward the Father. And there's this beautiful reciprocation of love and honor between God the Father, God the Son, and of course we know God the Spirit. Love is something that can't exist without another person. So could God, could God love then eternally before creation? Well, the answer is yes, because God is three but one. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit loved each other, which is why God is the perfection of love. And Jesus displays the perfection of God's love when he says this, I laid down my life. I laid down my life. On Friday here in this room, we celebrated Good Friday. We called it a dark Friday, but we said it was a good Friday because of Sunday. And on Good Friday, Jesus laid down his life. 
He went to a cross. He died on the cross to save people like you and me. See, the Bible tells us that God's law is a, has a standard of perfection. And cursed is anyone who falls short of perfection. Look in the mirror and you know that you are one who's fallen short. I'm in that boat with you. And God knew this, which is why Jesus came to this earth. The perfect one who was what we could not be to do what we could not do. And that's die a death that brings eternal life. See, on the cross, Jesus took your punishment. He took God's wrath towards sin so you can be forgiven. On Friday night, we heard that Jesus spoke the words, it is finished, which is one word in Greek, but it means paid in full. The debt you owed to God was paid in full. There's nothing left that you owe because Jesus laid down his life. But I love how Jesus says in verse 18, no one takes it from me. Ain't nobody taking my life. I I just love this because as we read the story, it looks like people took his life, doesn't it? I mean, after all, Judas betrayed him. But Jesus at the Last Supper says, one of you will betray me. Judas hadn't done it yet, but Jesus knew. It wasn't one of those things where Jesus was like, you know what? Word on the block, Judas says, you're about to betray me. It wasn't like Jesus was like, hey, I heard about this. So-and-so told me. Jesus said, I'm in control. I'm saying you're going to betray me before you betray me because I know your heart and intention, and you actually are part of God's instrument in the grand plan. No one took his life. When Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane praying and the soldiers came and, his, and they came and arrested Jesus, all his followers fled. It seemed like he wasn't in control except for the fact that the Old Testament says when you strike the shepherd, the sheep will flee. God was in control. When Jesus was mocked for being the king of the Jews and it appeared that they had won the day in their mockery, what sign hung above his head? king of the Jews. He was still in control. When he took his hand and he took those nails and he drove those nails through his hand, was he still in control? Hands outstretched at the mercies of his executioners? Well, Isaiah 53 says he was pierced for your transgressions. Words written hundreds of years before it happened. Jesus was still in control. Or when they cast lots for his clothes and they divided up his garments as prizes of their victory. Was Jesus still in control as he watched seemingly helpless from the cross as they made a mockery of his clothing? Psalm 22, a prophecy says they divided my garments. That was supposed to happen because Jesus was still in control. And after he took his last breath and they put that spear in his side and blood and water flowed, when the Son of God took his last breath, was he in control? Well, John tells us, Zechariah 12.10 says, they will look upon him whom they have pierced. Jesus said, nobody took my life. I lay it down. But that's not where the sentence ends. I lay it down so that... I may take it up again. Come on. It's one thing for someone to say, I'm going to lay my life down to die. Many people have done that, but nobody says, after I do so, I'm coming back up. 
And nobody can do it except for the one who has the authority to do it. And Jesus says, just in case you're wondering, in verse 18, I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it back up again. That's the mission. That's what it's all about. Jesus had a mission to accomplish. Nobody else was in control. He was in charge. Every step of the way, every step to Golgotha. Even as they laid his body, his helpless body, his limp body in the tomb, he had it. He was in control. He rolled that tomb. He walked up out of the grave with the authority that his father had given him and with the blessing of his father. But let's get, let's get really practical here. How do we know that? I mean, how do we really know that Jesus is alive? Well, the Bible gives us an array of evidences. If you're wanting to hear them, I'll give them to you. It says that those who first witnessed the resurrection were women. And in that day and age, women in the court of law could not be witnesses. But what God does, he elevates the value and beauty of women and says, I'm going to make the proof of my resurrection first stand upon them. If you would write this up in the history books, you wouldn't have used women. Because their testimony wasn't valid in the courts. And God's like, I don't go by the way the world does it. The women are going to be first to see them. And then the 11 disciples, minus Judas, they see the resurrected Jesus. They end up laying down their very lives to follow the resurrected Jesus. And then it says that Jesus appeared to hundreds, uh, not dozens, Hundreds, over 500, 1 Corinthians 15 uh, 15 tells us, over 500 after his resurrection. And isn't it fascinating that the records of Scripture which testify it exist in our hands today, but not one, not one record from antiquity says that wasn't true. Not one record. Because it was true. Maybe you're still skeptical. Well, then the question is, well, what happened to the body? Where, where is the body? Some say the Jewish leaders stole it. Yeah, that makes no sense. Because they wanted more than anything to be done with Jesus, let alone create a lie. Well, some say maybe the disciples stole it. Well, first of all, they had to fight off Roman soldiers remove a stone without anybody knowing, take a body and hide it, and then live their lives defending, that they did, defending a lie that they made and even dying for that lie. Not possible. And others say, well, maybe he really wasn't dead in the tomb. I mean, maybe, maybe the tomb was cold. And when he was laid in that damp, cold tomb, his life was revived because he wasn't fully dead. They were Roman executioners that put him to death. They had one job, and that was to kill people. I think they would know if they were successful at their job. Why is the tomb empty? Because Jesus has the authority to take his life up again. So what do we do about it? Well, Jesus says, hey, my sheep know my voice. God's calling you to trust in him today. 
If you are a child of God and your heart is full and your gas tank is just going up right now, I hope it is. Jesus is saying, follow me, listen to my voice, and lay down your life for me. In October 28, 1949, in the journal of a man who at the time was insignificant, this person wrote these words, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. I'm going to say that again for you. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. This man's name is Jim Elliott, a missionary to an Indian tribe in Ecuador. Seven years later, he and his four other friends were killed at the edge of a spear for their faith in Jesus as they sought to share the good news of Jesus with this Indian tribe in Ecuador. And when we hear those words written in his journal seven years earlier, we see that it made a difference in his life so that it makes sense. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep. What can't you keep? Your bios. Your physical life. You can't keep it. We've all got expiration dates. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep. So give your life to gain that which he cannot lose. What can't you lose? Jesus and eternal life in Zoe with him. So Christian, child of God, give your life and you won't be a fool. Even on April 1st. For those who are doubting and maybe struggling, saying, man, but we're saying makes sense. What do I do? Jesus says, my sheep know my voice and I know them. And then he says, and they follow me. See, the Christian faith is more than a Sunday activity. It's more than a gathering in a room with four walls. It's a life. There's no such thing as those who believe but not all in. Because then you don't believe, Jesus said, follow me. Either you believe and follow Jesus or you don't believe because you're not following him. Jesus is calling you today. Follow the shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for you, the sheep. And the way that happens is by you saying, Jesus, I believe you died for me. That curse, that wrath you endured, you did that for me. And I believe you died and that you rose again. And that you ascended into heaven and you sent down your Holy Spirit so I can live life to the fullest. That's what it means to put your faith in Jesus and then to live for him every day. You won't be perfect. Nobody in this room is. But you can put your head on the shoulder of a perfect God who is always welcoming his children. What I want to avoid is those that Jesus says, said, Lord, Lord, in the last day. Did we not do all these things in your name? And he said, I never knew you. Knowing Jesus means following him and living your life for him. See, the paid in full on a Friday brings the April full on Sunday. And this is what Jesus has accomplished for us. I don't know where your gas tank is at now. I hope it's full. I hope that light is off. And I hope that you leave with a joy and a song to sing. Jesus is alive, family. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, 
that nobody took Jesus' life. He laid it down. And I thank you, Lord, that he had the authority to raise it up, that we serve a risen Jesus, a risen King, a risen Savior. Father, I pray, God, that you will bring faith to those in this room who don't have it right now, who are struggling to believe or who choose not to believe. God, I pray you would tear down the walls of hard-heartedness and you give them faith. God, I pray for each of your children today that you would excite them and encourage them that they would leave declaring he is risen, he is risen indeed, worshiping Jesus for what he's accomplished. God, we adore you and we love you and we want to sing your praises where sin was strong. Jesus, you've been stronger. We praise you for that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.